This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. This is a special series of recordings that we're doing with the Nomad Futurist advisors that are tasked with launching the Nomad Futurist Academy, which is happening, if all goes well, early in 2024. Welcome to the Nomad Futurist Podcast. This is your host, Philip Koblenz from Montclair, New Jersey. Just me today. Mark Kussergaard, Director of Cloud Resiliency, Uptime Institute, Buffalo, New York. I feel like hopefully people will be able to see this on video. And I feel like you've made it in your career when you have a double. Saddam Hussein, Vladimir Putin, and now Philip Koblenz with Mark Kussergaard as the double. I can barely tell us apart. I'm looking at you and thinking, why aren't the lips moving when I'm talking? I never know who's stunt double. Who's got the more spelt and active lifestyle and creative? So let me be your stunt double. Let me be the thing for you that you'll never be. Awesome. So can you take a moment and just tell our listeners what you do and what is Mark Gossikoff all about? Thank you. So I started with Uptime Institute a year and a half ago, coming up on two years now in April. And I am the director of client resiliency for North America, Canada and the United States. My background's a little different than some other people's in the industry. And it's one of the things that really brought me to the Nomad Futurist and why I'm passionate about it. I did not come from the data center world. I came from industrial automation. So I did over 20 years in industrial automation, mostly in a fluid power capacity. During that time, I was lucky enough where I got into some elements of data centers by working in chillers and HVAC a little bit and understood fluid dynamics before that. So I was able to translate some of that knowledge in cooling and heating and thermal transfer in a fluid capacity into the data center world. I'm lucky enough to be a Nomad Futurist advisory board member and also sitting in with OCP to develop the resiliency specification around direct liquid cooling and immersion cooling as well. So a lot of hats you wear. I now know why there's no room on your head for any hair, which fits the bill. Otherwise, it wouldn't really work with you as my stunt double. So just to peel back the layers a little bit, for those of us that are just hearing this for the first time, the Uptime Institute, whenever you hear Tier 1 data center, Tier 3, Tier 4 data center, that tier rating, that is an Uptime Institute moniker. So those who are not members of the Uptime Institute that do not pay Uptime Institute to do that analysis are simply making it up. Is that fair? 100% accurate. And just to clarify another piece, there really is no Tier I mean, there is Tier 1, but we don't certify to Tier 1. Tier 2 is... There is redundancy and resiliency in place. And I'll simplify this. Tier three is a concurrently maintainable data center for all topology, for all critical elements of the infrastructure. So any component that needs to be taken in or out of service, the facility can still run at 100% capacity, concurrently maintainable, focuses on a single planned downtime event. And then tier four is concurrently maintainable, but full tolerant, isolated, compartmentalized. And that also takes into account a single unplanned downtime event. So there's your definition around tiers so that the world kind of knows what we're all about and what we the do. World, the world finally knows. They finally get it. You heard it here first, folks. So let's step back in time for a bit. Did you want to be in industrial automation when you were a kid? Were you like, I want to be like as a four-year-old? Was that like you were wearing an industrial automation outfit for Halloween? So my Halloween costumes were another topic of conversation. My experience in this industry actually started about this time of year. Uh, no. I didn't start in that. So my formal education in English writing arts and theater and acting, and I cut my teeth in that when I was young, my mother got me involved in cooperative extension and I was actually teaching public speaking. 
And my very first breakout was on a small local TV show called the Commander Tom Show. People from Buffalo know that. They'll remember Tom Jones was this guy, Commander Tom. He was a local weatherman, had a children's show on Sundays. And I made clothespin reindeer on television as like a craft project on the Christmas episode. And it was huge. Like all my friends in school are like, it works on TV and he's doing all this cool stuff. And I started doing plays and doing this. Do you have pictures or a video of that? Does that exist? I have it on VHS and I did convert it to DVD. I will send you that. I think that'll be breaking news on the Nomad Futurist YouTube channel. My God. I, I think we need to. I had hair. I had a full head of beautiful blonde hair. I am not necessarily surprised that your track was actor public speaking because you're not shy. And I think shyness is one of those things that holds people back. Were your parents in the acting space? How did that even evolve? So coming full circle, and this is where the story kind of ends and then begins for my career. My father was a degree engineer and my mother was an educator and ran a preschool for her entire life. She got me a lot of these opportunities. So I was like cooking, and sewing and learn how to bake and all this stuff. And then got the public speaking piece and got a scholarship for college by doing that. That is crazy then, that as an 11 year old, you're teaching adults how to public speak. Well, and then even just before that, so my father's an electrical engineer. And when I was a little kid, my sixth grade science fair project was a half a million volt Tesla coin that lit light bulbs from across the room. So coming in school, and one minute I'm on the Commander Tom show, public speaking, and the next minute I've got a Tesla coil lighting light bulbs like Nikola Tesla on the other side of the room. And kids are like, and this is wild stuff. Like you, your dad's great. Like your mom's great. Like this is awesome stuff. How did you, how did you wind up so terrible? But my God, I'm like the Danny DeVito in the twins movie. Like I'm the left. Uh, you know what? That's why we're body doubles. I think I've said that about Nabil and I like several times in the history of our relationship. Do your siblings have a similar track? Do they also get into public speaking and stuff? I mean, that's a superpower. My brother actually stuck with engineering. He's pilot and he owned his own business for a very long time. Incredibly successful, very smart guy. And he races fighter jets. Like that's his whole gig now. He's retired. He has a line of aircraft. He's got a fleet based on aircraft and he races in Reno. And that's his whole life. He's excellent at it. He was an aerobatic pilot for a long time. And then he bought a company that rebuilds and jet engines so that he can support his racing career at Reno. I mean, he's genius level human being on the scale of aviation and aerospace engineering. And that was his path. And that's what he chose to do. And he's great at it. Coming back to how I got into this, my father's an engineer and my mother's got kind of this social butterfly and giving me these different skill sets. After I graduated college, I worked for a company called the NECA, it was a National Electrical Contractors Association. I was living in Washington, D.C. They moved me to New Orleans and I was a liaison between the contractor and the union to resolve labor relations and wage negotiation disputes and things of that nature. So the contractors would go on strike. And I missed being home. I missed being in Buffalo. So I moved home. My father said, you have an inherent skill where you can take an engineer and products and tell them why they need this thing or what's good about it or what's bad and basically make the link in the lack of communication and translate to them what needs to be said and what needs to be done and give people a level of understanding at a variety of levels from the business owner to the engineer to the shop floor guy, maintenance, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So I cut my teeth in industrial sales and then got into industrial automation and got more technical as time went on. And then finally got into professional services with uptime in the data center industry. And this is like the greatest experience I've ever had in my career, being in this world, being entrenched, fast paced, moves like crazy. People are incredible. They want you to be better. They want you to learn. And that's ultimately why I'm passionate about what we're doing at the Nomad Futures. We want to get this next generation of people 
into this so that they can be a part of it too and take this energy and this excitement that we have and give it another generation and let's see what they can do. I mean, imagine what all these old, bald guys like us are doing in this industry with all this experience and like some people are tainted and jaded and whatever, but everybody's really genuinely good people. How imagine you just shave a bunch of years off that, put this energy back into it so that we see what's going to happen next, especially with like AI coming down the pike. We're going to need more energy to help this get into whatever it's going to be next. It's not just a doppelganger and a stuntman from a looks perspective. Clearly, he matches the energy that I've become known for and might exceed it. He really might. So fast forward, you get to Uptime Institute. You're at a conference in Austin last year. And I think you started the conversation. You're like, what the hell are you guys doing here? Which probably comes from that training as a young child, not being shy to start a conversation, which is something I wear as a badge of honor also, not being shy to start a discussion. And we told you what we were doing, and that was total happenstance. This was not a planned or anything. We just started a conversation about what the Nomad Futurist is doing. And that's when we first tried to, I think the foundation had been formed and we were just trying to craft what our plan is with the Academy. And Mark just jumped in two feet first and immediately got on board as an ambassador and has been instrumental in us trying to create this Academy, which hopefully will launch in the first part of 2024. We're making great strides, which we could not do without Mark and the team's efforts. So you've told us why you're passionate about getting young blood into our industry, but what is it about what the foundation is doing and particularly what the Academy's goal is that you think is important? We joke a lot, but thanks for the kind words and the vote of confidence as well, because I am passionate about this. It will succeed. I mean, we will make this into what we've decided it will be. It's also funny that at that event, the nice tie-in that we had, not having known each other sitting across the table, you and Nabil got on stage and you said, hey, by the way, Mark, we're going to be using some Uptime Institute data when we're up there. We'll give you a shout out. Hey, that, thanks a lot. Because we do have good data. We've got great research stats. So I'll start with the research stat and then we'll translate what that means for Nomad Futures with some hard numbers. So we did a survey of the industry last year, if I remember right, might have been two years ago now. And the data showed 45% of the people in this industry have 20 plus years of experience in this industry. 30% of the people in this industry have 11 to 19 years of experience. So 75% of this industry has 11 plus years of experience in this industry. Three quarters of the people have more than a decade in this industry. Okay. At some point, those people are going to retire. And the other odd demographic is that the people who have one to five years experience in the industry make up 8% of the total demographic. Here's the problem. I make up that demographic. I'm 48 years old and I have that one to five year piece right along with the people who are coming out of school or maybe they're in their 20s and they're making a transition from one career to another. So I actually skew that number and I'm not the only one. I know other people in that space. So what I think is really important that we're doing in the nomad futurist is grabbing that 8% demographic and turning it into 20 now and not waiting for the age out to happen. The biggest problem we're going to have with the age out when it does occur is you're going to lose the knowledge. It's going to be gone. So we need to grab all the people in this industry who are smart, who have skill sets and take the skills that they have and put them out there for everyone to experience. As an example, I've got fluid power experience. Now, I may not have as much formal data center experience as you do, Phil, because you've been doing this for a while, but I can bring the fluid power knowledge and experience, how that translates and relates, 
then I can bring the resiliency experience I have with Uptime Institute. I can bring the educational experience that I have with our education program. And as I'm talking to people and clients who are going through these assessments, help people identify through either networking or through conversational interaction, what I'm seeing in the field that clients are experiencing, people are feeling pain with, people are doing right, and then start working that into the Nomad Futurist campaign. Part of what we're doing right now at the level that we're at, is we formed committees. There are four people on the committees. It's myself, Cyril Tahar, Karen Petersburg, and Emma Grace Meyer. And the four of us are heading committees with people who are incredibly knowledgeable and have been doing this for a very long time. And we're creating the foundation and the structure for a syllabus to get the ground layer of knowledge for the data center industry out there at the quote-unquote high school level. And we chose that as a starting point because there are some highly intelligent people that are slightly below the high school age group who will understand it and the college folks will understand it. And we took the premise that if I remember right when I was younger, the New York Times was written at the sixth or seventh grade level so that everybody could really understand it, the biggest demographic would understand it, the benefits of it. And that's our starting point. And once we come out with those modules, we're then going to start building the structure and the framework around other training modules and other training and education pieces. And after we put all of those together and we start training people and teaching them and educating them about the industry, we will then be the centralized repository for people to come to us and be able to gain other educational platforms like Uptime Institute, CNET, or the iMasons and collaborating with them. So we become that hub so that everybody can come to us and get information and then use the information for what is going to benefit them. Normally, I would say, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, but I really, in this case, I don't think I could have said it better myself. I mean, I think the way you frame it really articulates the value. I think your father was right when he said you have the ability to take the engineering side and tell people why they need something because you just did it. So if this was an interview, you're hired for whatever position. I can't afford you, but you're hired. Proud of what we do. What we're doing is the right thing to do for this industry. And it's a pretty big gap. Other people are trying to do it. Other people are dancing around it and they're at an earlier point than we are. I think we're further along than a lot of people are, but we're also networking, collaborating with some of these other organizations that are finding benefit in getting the industry to where it's going to need to be very quickly. Because with advancements of hat, we're not going to be on the bus, right? Like we're not all going to be sitting on the bus. The bus is going to be leaving and we're going to be waiting for the next one and we're going to miss that first opportunity. I think timeliness is where we should be to get this thing launched and kicked off Q1 and then starting in Q2, getting people to engage with and interact with our nomad future space in that curriculum. I think there are a couple of points that you raise that I just wanted to highlight. One is this concept of creating a platform to capture the institutional knowledge that's about to age out of our industry. And I think notwithstanding your ability to communicate, communication in general is not necessarily the top trait that somebody would give to an engineer in the data center space. So what we're trying to do is really create a platform that allows folks that are aging out, that have all this knowledge to share their knowledge and then have it go through kind of the academy process that you guys have created and put those communication skills to work and form it in a way that's consumable by the broader public. And I think that's the secret sauce that was missing. Anybody can just create a platform and let people just write on it like a blog or whatever, but trying to ubiquitize 
all of this information and letting people share in whatever means they're able to share and then putting it through a process that makes it part of an overall module, part of an overall plan is incredibly important. And I give the shameless plug to Bill Clayman, right? Not everybody in this industry can be Bill Clayman. You've got this superhero-esque human being who's got the engineering degree. He's an excellent public speaker. He's got all this energy. He's also in a generation that's starting to evolve more. And we're seeing more of his generation coming into this environment, possessing this incredible knowledge and skill set. There's only one of him. So we've got to find ways to get 20, 30, 40, 50 more people like him built out. And I'm just a tiny little piece of the kind of being that he is. We need to start creating more people like that with the energy and the dynamic that he brings to an event or an environment. No doubt. And I think the concept of trying to capture that energy and give people a access to a platform that will make that information available is at, obviously at the core of what we're doing. And the other, look, the other reason why a Mark Gusakoff exists, why a Philip Koblenz exists, why a Bill Clayman exists is because we just happened to start our professional careers at a time that the internet was coming into its own. It was exciting. It was new. Everyone was learning, right? There was no barrier to entry when we started because nobody knew what the hell was going on. So you referred to my experience as formal and it couldn't be further from the truth. It was learned by doing. It was, there was no data center major. I am an engineering major at Penn when I graduated, but other than the problem solving of getting through school, I can't necessarily point to a particular thing that I learned in college that is specifically applicable to the what I learned through data centers going down, data centers coming back up, solving problems on the fly. And what is the metaphor that people use? Trying to fix the airplane while it's in the air, which I think your Build brother would get. Build the airplane while you fly. Right. Build, Build the, the airplane, airplane while you fly. Right. Which, which means we should probably get your brother on board since that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> so it's an incredible undertaking and we literally could not do it without you and the rest of the team. But if I had to create in a lab someone whose background and experience with the father who is an engineer and the mother who is a teacher and the public speaking and the communication and just the sheer enthusiasm and curiosity for what we do, it would be Mark Gusikoff and a handsome devil, if I am to say so myself. I'm going to look like out there too. <laughs> right. I button more elements of my shirt, so you're certainly more confident. So as we wrap up here, if you had to come up with one or two things that you would tell to a younger Mark Gusikoff, to a kid that's starting out in their career, what do you think that advice would be? Wow. That's a really great question. I was actually going to say this a second ago. We had a mentorship that we did at Data Cloud. I don't think you were there. Nabil was there. There's a great video on LinkedIn that I saw that we had posted, but we got this great group of kids, young adults. They weren't kids. They were college. I think they were high school, college. And then there were even some people. If you're under 30 to our generation, you're a child. Exactly. But that was where we met Valeria, right? So we, we met Valeria at this event. She was with the iMasons on the educational piece. But when we were talking to them, and you can hear Bill say this in the video, Bill had said, look, you guys, girls are engineers. And if I had to give you a piece of advice take a business class. And that's one of the only regrets that I have in my scholastic career was I never took a business class. So everything that I learned, I had to learn from companies over the course of the last 25 years. And some were good and some were really bad, but that's good experience. So first thing I would say is I wish I would have taken a business course. The second thing that I tell people is I've gotten my best experiences in life by learning from my mistakes. 
And I came from that mindset that my parents let me fail. They allowed me to do that. And failure was always the opportunity for failure. That's the best part about not doing something right or falling short is that you'll learn what not to do next time. And I believe failure drives efficiency. Anybody out there listening, when you're in an interview, the best interview question I have for any prospective employer to my hiring manager is, how do you reward failure in this company? And I have never had someone look at me and give me a direct answer. They always go, oof, that's a good question. Or what do you mean? We don't failure. We don't reward failure. If you can't get an answer that you like from that person, I'll bet you it's not going to be a cultural fit. Now, that doesn't mean they have to answer it. You may not be looking for an answer to that question. But if they can't answer it the way that you prefer, I almost guarantee you that you won't have a cultural fit. Because rewarding failure and identifying that there's an opportunity for an increase in efficiency, which results in effectiveness from being able to identify failures, improve on them, fix the failure mode that's happening, create a plan, strategize it. I mean, generally, that's an engineering mindset, right? So if you can't figure out how to test and prepare and then fix your failure, you're going to struggle. And we're doing some of that now. The, the failure mode, we've got an age out. How are we fixing that? Let's get the next generation in and get them prepared for what some of these other people have been enjoying and experiencing over the last 20 years. I think it's an incredible point. And it's, to a certain extent, it's counterintuitive, right, in our kind of Instagram lifestyle where nobody wants to be vulnerable. No one wants to admit a mistake that they make that you actually learn more through failure than you do through success because success could be luck. And frankly, I believe it even on the business side that you said, I think you learn through the successes. So an incredible point. And what can I say? I love you, man. And thank you for yeah. all your help to this point. And it's going to be exciting 2024 as we get this thing up and running. Thanks for having the confidence in me to do this. Thanks for inviting me to be in the Nomad Futurists. I thank Uptime Institute as well for all the opportunities and the support that Uptime is bringing to Nomad Futurist Academy. And I'm really excited to see what we do in Q1 and then who's taking what in Q2. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Kusikoff. Thank you. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we will all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. At Nomad Futures, we are confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.org. And thank you for listening and subscribing, as well as your continued support.